I'm really glad to see y'all. And you know, every, every once in a while, I'm here on a Sunday night, and it just I'm reminded of how weird it is that we're still here 14 plus years later, how, how much it takes um, for everyone to just volunteer and give their time and energy to make sure kids are taken care of and things are set up and amazing music is played. And uh, I'm just grateful uh, for you guys. I'm grateful for this community. Uh, and I mean, I, on paper, this last two years probably should have put a nail in this whole thing. And yet somehow we're still here and, and doing well. And I, and I just, uh, I'm thankful for you. Uh, if it's all right with you, I know it was already read uh, beautifully once, but I want to read uh, through Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 again. We're in a story of Jesus calling some disciples, <clears throat> and uh, there are some wonderfully weird things about this story, and I want to talk about it, and I'm excited about it. Uh, and uh, so let's go ahead and read uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> once again, it says this, once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little way from the shore. That's one way of getting a ride, is get in the boat first, then ask. It's like involuntary Uber. It's great. Asked to put him out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, and we have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. Most of you are familiar with the story, but there's something I I picked up on this weekend that kind of stood out to me that had never really stood out to me before. But I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been instructed on how to do something by a person obviously less qualified than you? Oh, Lord. I got, oh, I just got an amen out of that one. All right, we're, we struck a nerve. Perhaps it's that coworker brimming with self-confidence who casually asserts how to solve a problem you've been working on for a long time. They don't even know enough to know that they have no idea what they're talking about. But they feel like they magically understand the job you've been doing for years better than you possibly could. And they let you know. Very gracious of them. Maybe you're at a party, you meet someone new, and you uh, make the big mistake of talking about, you know, real opinions on things. And they begin to boldly assert something that is completely ignorant from your area of expertise. And somehow you end up having to defend what is demonstrably true against what is confidently ignorant. There are few things harder than to keep a smile on your face when someone else is telling you how to do your job. I can't imagine being a doctor right now. Between commercials that constantly tell me, here's a medicine, it's really great, go tell your doctor about this, like they don't know. 
Can you imagine the questions they must field on a day-to-day basis? It's got to be hard, right? But maybe you don't experience this very much. Maybe you don't currently live with an eight-year-old prodigy like I do. See, I understand a lot of people believe that their children are special, but in this case, I kind of have proof. You may not think it's possible for a second grader to hold all the world's secrets and working knowledge of the universe, but mine does. All you have to do is ask her. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I uh, don't want to have a little girl with no opinions. I don't want to have a little girl with no confidence. I don't want a little girl who doesn't speak her mind and assert herself. I am happy for all those things, very happy. It's what I want for my little girl. But there are those moments when she could tone it down a little bit, right? A great example is this week. We attended an event that a lot of our youth were in, a, a play that was like immersive. And it was supposed to be a play that took place in a prom in the 1980s. And we were supposed to go and dress like we were going to a prom in the 1980s. And the person in our house who was attending this event, who was born in 2014, was convinced that I didn't know how people dressed back in the 1980s. This is the same child who first thought she had to dress like she was 80 years old because she misunderstood the premise. And then began to tell me I was wrong when I told her how people dressed from the 80s. Said I was in high school in the 80s. Now, I couldn't get a date, so I wasn't at prom, but I saw what they looked like when they went because I saw pictures later on after I wiped the tears away from my own cheeks when I didn't go. But she was confidently wrong about this, right? I've literally been hip-checked by her out of the way when I'm trying to fix something in the house because she boldly claims to know how to do it better than me. Only to replace my approach with what could only be described as insanity. This is my daughter, whom I love more than anything I would give my life for. I am a grown man and have nothing to prove to her. But it brings me deep, abiding Christian joy when she asserts my ineptitude boldly and then later has to concede and come and ask me for my help because I am that petty. It's tough when someone tells you how to do the thing you know how to do better than them. And I can't help but read that feeling into today's gospel story. I want you to imagine being Simon and his friends that morning. Here's this itinerant preacher who has chosen to hold court on the shore of your lake, the lake where you make your living and probably have since you were a child. You've had a long, bad night on the job. There's nothing easy about your job of fishing with large nets in the middle of the night in the lake. And this night you have cast out and hauled in over and over for hours and hours in the dark and you have nothing to show for it. You would have been better off just staying home. You haven't caught enough for your family to eat, let alone sell and put some money in your pocket. And now you're in the middle of doing that last humiliating part of a bad night's work cleaning the nets that you dirtied for nothing. And then the rabbi steps into your boat and he asks for you to push off from shore so that he can use it to speak to the crowd that's gathering. And you just want to go home and sleep. You just want to finish and leave. But you respect, you're a religious person, you respect what the rabbis do, you respect the teaching, and so you agree. You float the boat out a little bit. 
I assume you sit in the boat behind him while he teaches. And I'm not sure how that teaching goes for you after a full night's work. Maybe there was something different about him. Maybe it was riveting. Maybe you were on the edge of your seat the entire time. Maybe I'm just reading myself into the story, but I'm a, I know what I'm like after I've worked all night long. Maybe his teachings wake you up, or maybe no matter how interesting he is, your eyelids are just a little bit heavy and they're fighting gravity the entire time he talks, much like some of you will do for the next 10 minutes or so. It's not easy to stay awake after a night of work in that morning breeze on a boat that's gently moving, the lapping of the small waves. I'm making some of you sleepy right now. Is it a sin to fall asleep when it's literally Jesus teaching a couple feet from you? I hope not. But eventually, the teaching ends. The sermon ends, and you can finally pack it all up and go home. You can finish washing those nets. You can call it a night. Get some rest and try again another time. And instead of just asking for a ride back to the shore and saying thank you, the rabbi says, hey, you should fish out there in the deep water. Now, he seems like a nice guy, wise and devout. Maybe you learned a lot from him, and you would love to listen to him teach again. But he ain't a fisherman. You are. You always have been. Your father probably was. He hasn't fished this lake his entire life every day and seen everything you've seen. And it would appear that maybe this guy's never fished in his entire life because even the non-professional knows the fact that you never fish with nets in deep water during the day. It's pointless. It's ignorant to suggest to do this. You might as well try to hunt deer in your neighborhood with a slingshot and your radio blaring. It's just dumb. It's a bad idea, and you're exhausted, and you've just been cleaning all the equipment, and you're almost done. It's the last thing you want to hear from someone. And maybe the most miraculous part of this miracle story is the fact that Simon says yes I'm not that nice. Simon says yes to this rabbi he just met. And he is spent and he is tired and he knows this won't work. He knows this is a bad idea and he says yes. Now he politely tries to talk him out of it, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. We already fished all night and uh, actually we have nothing to show for it. And so, you know, this is probably not a great idea. I mean, but if you really want us to, Jesus doesn't change his mind. And so almost certainly, muttering under his breath, they set out for the biggest waste of time they can imagine right now. They head out to the deep waters with the nets in the day where you'll never, ever catch fish. And then suddenly, there's an abundance, and there's two boats that are filled to the brim, and they're beginning to sink in the deep and dangerous water because the flesh the fish are so plentiful. It's a miracle. It's beyond having a good day on the water. Now, what would you do if you were Simon in this situation? When you saw the boats beginning to sink because of all the fish, when you saw that amazing thing happening, what would you do? 
Perhaps you would be like the person called on stage during a magic show and the trick goes off and everyone's mind is blown and you kind of scratch your head and shrug your shoulders and applaud with everyone else and call it a day. Or maybe you start immediately, you're a numbers person, you start immediately to do the math on what this means for your business and you thank Jesus profusely, maybe even name a boat after him. I think I would immediately see what time you wanted to fish tomorrow because he just got himself a job at my business. Right? Ultimately, I think I would want him a part of things, right? I think that I'd have the impulse of joy and gratitude and maybe even a strategy of how to keep adding Jesus to this fishing gig because this combination seems to be coming up aces. But in what is, for me, the most compelling part of this story, Simon doesn't respond in any of those ways. Simon is devastated. He falls at Jesus' feet and knees, and he asks him to leave. Quote, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now consider that for a minute. Consider that his lottery numbers just came up. They just hit. The windfall just became a reality. The, the day you would love to tell your other fishing buddies about for the rest of your life just happened, and this is his response. He is afraid. He is ashamed. He's not sure he wants Jesus around him seeing this at all. And I think I can understand that. I mean, it's got to at least be a little disturbing to witness somebody so casually accomplish what you, the expert, will never have been able to figure out. That's got to be a little disorienting. It's hard enough when you, it's hard enough when you accomplish your own dreams, and I'm reminded of the many tragic stories we know from our culture of those who have achieved everything they ever dreamed of and it wasn't what they thought it would be. My, my era of being really into baseball was, was in the 80s when I knew how people dress when they go to prom. And Dwight Gooden was uh, my favorite pitcher. He was a star pitcher for the Mets. And in 1986, he helped lead them to a very improbable World Series win over the Red Sox. He was on the pinnacle of everything he'd worked his entire life for, everything that a boy would dream of. He was who I dreamed to be one day. And he completely missed the victory parade through the streets of New York because he was in a shady motel unconscious from the drugs he currently he used at the time to you know, numb his pain. That's how he opens up his autobiography, is telling that story. Right, you hear stories of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and they talk about the depression that sets in after winning the big game that they spent their entire lives hoping for and preparing for and dreaming of. Right, the average lottery winner, they say, is worse off emotionally, psychologically, relationally, and even financially 10 years after their numbers have been called, although I think all of us would love to test that theory. But the truth is, as counterintuitive as it seems, one of the worst things you can do to a human is give them everything they think they want. Parents know this instinctively. But it's true about us as human beings, right? And often, actually in Scripture, that's how God judges somebody. The rich man really wanted a wall between he and the pitiful Lazarus so he didn't have to deal with him. And in the end, that's exactly what he got for all of eternity, and it was not good. The older brother did not want to celebrate the return of the prodigal brother, and so he ends up getting what he wants, and he misses a party in his own house. Our dreams don't always turn out to be the blessings we imagine them to be, and we end up in the one place we had worked so hard to avoid, sitting there with nothing that matters to show for all the efforts we've been putting in day after day after day.
Maybe that's what's happening here. And perhaps all of this is what makes the scripture, to me, a perfect story about meeting Jesus and a perfect story about hearing his call to follow. Because it is here that we see the essence of Christ's gracious offer to us all. And it's to us all because in a very real way, Simon represents all of us in the story because he covers both of the ends of the spectrum within two verses. On one extreme, he is a complete and abject failure with empty nets and nothing to show for all of his efforts. And then within one verse, he's the recipient of a miraculous windfall, a blessing that he could never have imagined. We see that whatever road our life takes us along, we all end up in the same place with ourselves and our creator on that shore. Maybe you are empty-handed. Maybe you are exhausted from your futile attempts to succeed at even the things you are supposed to be the best at and you can't seem to get right. Or maybe you have succeeded more wildly than you could ever have dared to dream. And you're not sure even the boats that you built with all of your success can stay above the water from the weight of what you thought you wanted and you actually got. Or maybe like most of us, you're some unique combination of things in between. That weird gumbo of success and failure, strength and weakness that you can't possibly untangle. Whoever we might be, we all end up in that same potentially terrifying place with ourselves, our empty hands, and our Creator. This is where we all end up. Realizing that all we have has come not from our own hands, from our own expertise or our own effort, but as a blessing from God himself. And it is on that shore we are exhausted in every sense of that term. Where we finally see the Savior that graciously ignores our resume, our successes, our failures, and expels our fear with a love and an invitation that's without condition. A Savior that gives us the opportunity to leave behind what we could have never imagined our lives or ourselves without and belong to the one thing that really matters. The love of our Creator worked out through the invitation to love His children. Simon is devastated. Simon has seen everything he could ever dream of happening in one moment. And he is bereft. And Jesus looks at him and says, do not be afraid anymore. From now on, you'll fish for people with me. And this, this is the essence of discipleship. This is the call. William Sloan Coffin says that we should risk something big for something good. That we should take all those things that we have built up as so important in our lives and lay them down for what is truly good in this world. To get to the end of ourselves, our successes, our failures, find ourselves at the feet of our creator and find only love and invitation. I mean, no wonder they left it all on the beach that day. And I wonder about that next group of confused fishermen that showed up the next day and tried to figure out what exactly happened here. 
some waterlogged boats, a few dirty nets, and maybe even some rotting fish. Looking as if some strange little rapture had occurred the day before. Mostly because it did. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we can know where all of this leads. That while we can work hard, while we can uh, try to produce good things in this world, that we can be the best we can at what we can do. That, Lord, we can experience whatever successes and whatever failures we experience that no matter who we are, what has gone on in our lives, however good, bad, or ugly it might have been, that when all is said and done, we still end up in that same place. At your feet, with your invitation to love. And so God, we pray that we might live our lives now with that in mind. That we might risk something big for that which is truly good. That we might ultimately lay down that which we have convinced ourselves is so important and trade it for the only thing that really matters. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.